Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest in uh, um, for our podcast that we'll be doing today in my home is my my friend Renee Davis. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, Renee is in town in Utah, where I live, from East Tennessee, Knoxville. Um, so we arranged to do this podcast in person. Renee um, emailed me a while ago and was just grateful for my work and then shared a little bit more about her story. And I asked her if she'd share her story on the podcast. So that's how this came about. Um, and, and I'll give you a little bit of an overview of the podcast. Renee is a convert to the church. So she'll talk about joining the church and why she joined the church. She's also going to talk about why she's felt like a fringe member at times. In fact, maybe most of her journey in the church. And I like fringe members. Um, I think we're all fringe members to some extent, but I love that Renee has found a way to better belong and be supported, but it's also had some different difficult experiences. So if you sometimes feel like you're a fringe member, maybe Renee's story will help you feel like there's a place for you. And if you're kind of a regular member um, who feels like you really belong, Maybe what Renee shares will help you have more tools to reach out to, quote, fringe members to help them they feel like they belong. Because I think as you hear Renee's story, we're better off with people like Renee as part of our congregations. They bring unique gifts and attributes. Anyway, that's a little bit about Renee. Um, She's going to talk about also working at a CPA firm, uh, being a treasurer for a local um, PTA. and connecting with some um, gay people, not members of our church, but just kind of into that space. She may share a difficult experience or two at church. Um, She'll talk about being largely inactive for the five-year period, which I think was kind of predating COVID. And then um, the podcasts follow him by Hank Smith and John, by the way, that were helpful. And a couple of things that I wrote that were also helpful for Renee to feel like, yes, I do belong. So we just said a prayer before we started. It's really brave of Renee to do this podcast. And she's a remarkable woman that has done much good. And um, we both pray that this story will help you as we create Zion by helping everybody feel they're needed, wanted, and valued. Is that okay? You're also a mom of two kids. Is that okay as an introduction, Renee? Yes. So I'll just turn it over to you to introduce yourself to our listeners. Okay. Well, first of all, um, I would like to say hopefully I don't cry during this because then I might start blubbering. But but I would also like to say that I know that the church has asked us to not use Mormon to refer to the church. And I'm not trying to go against this. However, much of what I'm sharing today is from memories from years ago, paraphrasing others and not necessarily relaying the entire story where I use both Latter-day Saint and Mormon when I was speaking to non-members. I mean, no disrespect at all to the church by doing this. Um, First of all, I grew up in East Tennessee. My mother was divorced twice by the time I was 11. So I was raised by a single mother and then her parents, my grandparents. We were Presbyterian, a Presbyterian family, and I have been to Presbyterian, Baptist, and Methodist churches as a teenager, but I was never very devout. 
For a matter of fact, at one point, and this was after I had joined the church when I was in college, my sister had actually, um, when she was in college as well, she married a Muslim and converted. And my mother was talking to a friend of hers and says, well, I thought I raised my kids in somewhat religious home. At least I taught them to think for themselves. Um. My introduction to the L, to the to the Latter Day Saint Church was not um, a positive one. When I was in middle school, my best friend Kelly wrote a research paper on Mormons and how evil they were and how wrong they were and being a cult and and so forth. And her, the teacher that she wrote the research paper for. Um, shared it with our religion teacher back when religion classes were actually still taught in public school back in the 70s. And she asked him to teach his classes at school about Mormons. So she actually taught this research paper to all of the kids that were in these religion classes in middle school. The second experience I had was I was dating a, a a guy in high school and I was going to church with him and his family. And the Sunday school lesson that one of those weeks was about Mormons and being a cult and how evil we were and going to hell and so forth. And, and I just, something told me that I, I needed to just get up and walk out. Um, I didn't feel right about either one of these items or about either one of these times, but I didn't really know why. Now, on the other hand, my um, mother had a very good friend and then and it was it was a family friend. And then her daughter had actually converted to the church. And they, you know, we were at their house a lot and they seemed like they were pretty normal people. When I was in college. I was at the University of Tennessee, and I got burned out after about 24 months of going straight through school and work. And so I decided I was going to do a cooperative education internship every other semester for two years in Southern Maryland. So I would go to school at UT for a semester, and then I would work in Maryland. And I was getting ready to head to Maryland for the fall semester, and I felt like I needed to find a church when I was up there. I was encouraged by a friend from high school to find a church while I was up there. And I found out that the pastor of my grandparents' church when I was growing up had actually taken a, he had moved and taken on a congregation in the same area where I was going. And so I thought, well, that'll be easy because I'll know who he is. And every single time I thought about it, it just didn't feel right. The second time, during the second week at work, um, there were two interns who came in from the University of Utah, Thomas and Steve. And when they walked in, they walked into a staff meeting, and I immediately felt like there was something different about them. Well, the interns all kind of hung out and did things together. And so one weekend, I mentioned I was going to come back or go back home to to Tennessee for the weekend and invited Thomas and Steve and another intern, Lorraine, to come with me. And so we left early after work on Friday 
we took turns driving. It was about about an eight hour drive. We took turns driving. And if I was in the front, if I was driving, Lorraine was in the front seat with me. If Thomas or Steve was driving, Lorraine and I were in the back seat. So we kept it gender neutral or whatever, however you want to say that. Anyway, we had a wonderful weekend. And um, at one point when we were driving back, Lorraine and I were actually asleep in the back seat. And as I woke up, I heard Thomas and Steve talking about church stuff and relationships and, and things like that. And it was very interesting to me because it was it was very different than what I had ever really expected after the the couple of situations that I had seen that I'd had about um, the church being a cult and, and so forth. So on Monday after we returned to Maryland, um, I went to the public library and checked out every single book that they had on Mormons, including a copy of the Book of Mormon and the Mormon Experience by Leonard Arrington. And I actually started reading it that night. Well, this friend of mine, David, who had encouraged me to find a church, I spoke with him every few days. And he, when I told him that I had started reading and, and looking into the, the Latter-day Saint Church, he was very much against me um, doing so. He was also of the opinion that the church was a cult and evil and, and so forth. Well, a few weeks after the trip to Tennessee, the, there were five of us interns going on a hike in a state park. And before Thomas and Stephen and Todd, their other roommate, would go, they said, well, we, we all need to go to church. So why don't you all come to church with, with us and we can leave from there? And so we did. And at this point, they still had no idea that I was reading this, this book and, and kind of investigating on my own. So we went to church with them and I was, I, it felt good to me. It really did. It felt wonderful. So the next week I called Thomas, and I told him I wanted to talk to him about the church. He was a little bit surprised, and then when I told him what I had done and that I was reading The Mormon Experience by Leonard Arrington, he was, he was a little bit surprised about that as well. And we started meeting after work and talking for hours. There were some nights when we would talk for three or four hours, just teaching me things and talking about the church and some of his experiences and his mission and, and so forth. Um, there was more than once that he tried to tell me, well, I need to bring the missionaries in. And I'm like, no, you're doing fine. I, I kept rejecting it. <laughs> so after a few weeks, Thomas and Steve and Todd were house sitting for one of Thomas's um, uncles. And they invited me to come to dinner along with a couple of guys from church who I found out later were missionaries and basically they snuck the first discussion in on me. So at that point I started taking the missionary discussions and after each discussion, I would go home and I would be thinking about things and, and I would talk to David, the guy from home who was very much 
against me doing this. And so I would take the discussions and learn all of this wonderful stuff. And then I would go home and I would basically have my head head filled with all of this anti-negative stuff. And so I kind of had both pieces working together (laughs) or I guess against one another. But um, there was also another girl at, at work. Her name was Hope, and she was very much against my investigation. She actually told me that she was going to rent a movie called The Godmakers and wanted me to come and watch it with her. Well, I didn't feel very comfortable about that, but I kind of wanted to know what this Godmakers was. So I rented it and watched it myself. I took copious notes. I probably wore the tape out. And when this was actually a little bit before I was taking the discussions with missionaries, um, I was still talking with Thomas and I pulled out all of these notes and told him, I said, I've watched this and this and this, and what does this mean? And so forth. And he was like, okay, you know a whole lot more about the temple now than my brothers and sisters who have grown up in the church. (laughs) So anyway, I had, I then started going to church with them. Long story short, I was baptized about four months later or about four months after that weekend home, weekend trip home to Tennessee. I was, it was Christmas time. I was baptized in the stake center next door to the Washington, D.C. temple. So D.C., the D.C. temple has always been my favorite because of that. And I ended up being sealed there. And it's just a very special temple to me. Afterwards, after I was baptized, we went next door to the visitor center and they had all kinds of Christmas music and, you know, everything was decorated for Christmas. And there were a few videos that that they were playing in different um, rooms. And it was it was just it was wonderful. It really was. That was a very good end to the day, because when Thomas and Stephen Todd came to pick me up to take me to the stake center to be baptized. Um, Thomas actually turned around and looked at me and he says, did you bring your snorkel? He says, because I have a feeling that I'm going to have to hold you under for a long time. (laughs) Anyway, so a couple of days later, I went back home to Tennessee to, for Christmas and then also for my, for the next semester in school. I talked to David a little bit more. He tried to get me to undo what I had done. And as soon as he realized that he wasn't going to be able to get me to change my mind, um, basically he completely cut off all contact. And I had a few other friends that did the same thing. And it, it was hard, but it was also one of those things where I realized I'm not the one missing out. I love your conversion story, Renee. Um, uh, You had lots of voices in your life when it came to being exposed to the LDS church, but I think you just had this conscience where the anti-stuff you were feeling seemed unfair and unkind and not Mm -hmm. particularly well-informed and more out of fear. And you had this desire to kind of get to the truth. You proactively checked out this book by Leonard Arrington. (laughs) And you even watched the Godmakers, which 
can be a difficult film for active Latter-day Saints or investigators to watch, but it was part of you just wanting to understand and then go to, I've always felt like if you want to know the best about Judaism, go to a committed Jew. Yes. want the best about, you know, our church, go to the missionaries or your friends and help them, let them answer the questions. So I think you followed a really good path. I'd love you to talk about your patriarchal blessing, but what year is this? Do you remember what year you were baptized, just for context for our listeners? This was 1988 or 1989. All right. There you I go, was just I was just shy of my 21st birthday, 22nd birthday. I can't remember, we're gonna, but it's back we're in there. We're going to put it back in there. <laughs> so that gives you an idea that Renee's not a new member of our church. That's 30 plus years ago. Yes. Um, you joined the church. So keep sharing your story. You got a patriarchal blessing. I think that's the next segment. Yes. Um, about six months after I was baptized, I was back in Maryland doing uh, another semester for my internship or cooperative education. And I was talking with a bishop and he said, if you want to do this, I think this would be a good idea. And so I did. And. One of the things that was in my patriarchal blessing was my profession would be helping those who cannot help themselves. Well, I was extremely confused by that. I was a senior. I only had about 30 hours left um, for my bachelor's degree in accounting. And I, w- I already knew I was headed to, to graduate school for a master's in tax. And of course, to me, helping those who cannot help themselves, something to me was something more like psychology, social work, um, public service, something like that. Um, Before I was in accounting, I actually was majoring in psychology, but then decided that that I needed to I needed a change. But I actually started to reconsider, you know, here it was. I was almost ready to graduate and I'm trying to to do my best to to follow what was in my patriarchal blessing and I, it just didn't make any sense and so after many prayers um basically I was I knew I was supposed to stay in accounting I know I was supposed to continue on the path that I was on where I was going to go on and do my master's degree in tax however I did end up with a minor in psychology because I do have a very um a, a very big interest in psychology and, and the way that people's minds work and, and that kind of a thing. Now, as a tax professional, I've, I've been doing this now for 20 some odd, more than 20 years. Um, I have definitely come to understand that I am doing the, I am doing things to be able to help those who cannot help themselves. And there are times when I actually feel like I'm a therapist when dealing with some of my clients. Um, Another part of my patriarchal blessing said not to be choosy in who I serve because I'm expected to serve all of God's children as they are my brothers and sisters. And for me, you know, I kind of started thinking about it. And for me, that was just kind of that was the way I was brought up. Um, even though I wasn't brought up in the church, I was brought up by God-fearing, you know, people. And my grandparents um, always taught us to accept everyone. My grandmother very often said at Thanksgiving and Christmas when the whole family was around, 
um, that we had no steps or in-laws because there, there are stepchildren in our family. There were um, in-laws and, and that kind of a thing. And of course, our family, we would tease my grandmother about it and say, no, nope, we don't have any in-laws. We're all outlaws. So um, my grandparents, one of the things that I just, I really loved about, I guess, growing up in the family that I grew up in, and I thought it was actually kind of normal. I, didn't everybody grow up this way? Um, we always teased my grandparents about taking in strays for the holidays. Because no matter who it was, friends, classmates, anyone who didn't have anywhere to go for a holiday or, or whatever, they were always welcome in my grandparents' home. And one of my favorite stories about that um, is a couple, there were two couples, one Mercedes and one that my mother had met when she was in college. Um, to kind of back up a little bit, my mother graduated from college the year before I graduated from high school. So she had gone back to college and she was working while she was in college. She worked in the art department, the art and architecture department. And she met an art student named Mercedes and her husband Juan, and they were from Columbia. And they started doing things a lot together and we would have them over for dinner and, and we would go over to their house and at the same time, my aunt and uncle who lived in Richmond, Virginia, my aunt was a teacher and there was a new Spanish teacher named Dawn. And so my aunt and uncle got to know Dawn and Al, um, Dawn's husband. And one year, my aunt and uncle invited Dawn and Al to drive the eight hours to my grandparents' house for Thanksgiving. I love that. Well, my mother also invited Mercedes and Juan. And what is so neat about this story is Juan and Al grew up together in Columbia. No way. Yes. And it was, it was such a shock for these two men who had been away from home for years to to be reunited in this this place that they you know they would have never met or you know it would have never happened had it not been for my grandparents who always accepted everybody no matter who it was no matter where they were from always accepted everybody into their home okay so the next thing that I kind of want to touch on just a little bit, um, I had touched on it a little bit before where I was going to go to graduate school. I ended up applying to BYU and being accepted into the graduate school program. And that is actually where I met my husband. And now we've been married. I think like you had said before, we've been married for about 30 years. We have two children. and. One of the things that was a little bit unsettling when we moved to Tennessee for my husband's mother was he was moving away from his family. He's actually from Wyoming. And his mother was very afraid that he would not have any family here. But recently, and, and I didn't know that, that she had expressed this to him, 
But recently, his mom said that she could see that he was truly accepted as one of our family. And it was just a few weeks ago when I was talking to my husband about preparing for this, that he actually shared that with me, which which really made me feel good, because that means that, you know, the family that I grew up in is. You know, very accepting and, and it just it just makes all the difference. And I love that story about this Columbia family getting together at your. Yes. That's an incredible story. Yes. So I work for a CPA firm and within the CPA firm, we're basically politically and socially across um, all across the spectrum. And one thing that everybody at, at work actually kind of finds funny because there are some of us who are more liberal and some of us who are much more conservative. One of the very conservative owners and I um, are listed on a website of gay-friendly service providers in the Knoxville area. We found this out by asking a new client, um, where did you, you know, we always ask, where did you hear about us? You know, whether it was from referral or from the web, you know, from the internet or whatever. And of all of the people in the office to be listed, Everybody in the office thinks it's hilarious that it's the two most conservative in the office that are listed there. <laughs> so, but there again, because of how I was raised and my, you know, and also because of my patriarchal blessing, um, I basically have never turned away any client that I didn't, unless I did not feel that I could help them. And that is also the way that I have, I, I've really tried hard to live my life. That reminds me of Jesus. <laughs> well, I don't know if I would go that far. But that, I, don't, I know that I'm not anywhere near that. But that, that language, I did not turn anybody away, is that's following Jesus in my book. So keep sharing your story. Okay. So when my son was in middle school, he's now almost 20. Um, I was on the PTSA board as treasurer, and we had co-presidents. And one of the co-presidents, his name was Luis, and he was easy and fun to work with, had lots of wonderful ideas, very personable. And I, I just, I loved him to death. He was a wonderful father, had the most adorable kids, but most of the members on the board didn't like working with him but solely because he was gay. So. We'd been working together for a few months and we were setting up for a meeting. And all of this, all of a sudden, Louise says, can I ask you a question? I'm like, okay. So do you belong to some kind of a less conservative sect of your church? I, I was completely blindsided. I was, where in the world is this coming from? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, well, I don't understand um, why you don't have a problem working with me. And I'm like, why would I have a, I still had no idea where he was going with this. I'm like, why would I have a problem? What are you talking about? And he says, well, you're LDS, right? And I said, yes. And he says, well, why don't you have a problem working with me? Because I'm gay. And we kind of talked a little bit, and then I can't remember exactly what the question was that he asked me. And I asked him, I said, Luis, do you really want to, to talk about this? Because 
I was, I was almost afraid that I would offend him. And he says, no, please tell me. And I said, okay, Luis, I don't agree with your lifestyle. But that doesn't mean that you're not a good person and that we can't work together. We're both coming together at le- in this particular situation to work for the good of our kids. You have kids in the school. I have kids in the school. It, it's wonderful. You know, it's been wonderful working with you. And so we have common goals that we can come together on and work for for our kids. And as human beings, we've, we all have more in common than we do differences. And the way that I look at it is we need to come together over the similarities that we have and celebrate the fact that we have differences because it would get rather boring if if we were all the same, but it also brings so much more to the table that even, you know, I may come to to the table with one idea, you may come to the table with a different idea, and it sparks all of these other ideas that are even better. So he very much appreciated my honesty, and um, he has moved away. We're still friends. We um, follow one another on Facebook, and we could very easily pick up where we left off. I love that story. So a few weeks after this happened, um, we were in Relief Society. I can't remember what the discussion was about. But I thought that that story was relevant. And so I shared it and I spoke up that, you know, I'd been asked by this, this, this man who was gay, if, you know, the less conservative sect and why didn't I have a problem working with him and so forth. And all of a sudden the room became very uncomfortable. And the teacher thanked, for my, thanked me for my comment and very quickly redirected. Wow. And... I didn't really think a whole lot about it at the time, but it was, it was a little bit unsettling. Um, my family has not been um, very active for about five years. Um, before that, we were, we were basically what we, we called the four-year sitters. Um, we always sat in the four-year during sacrament meeting partially because we were always late, but it was just, it it just seemed to be much more comfortable. Um, And now it's also because my husband um, injured his back and he went from working full-time to being disabled. And he has a hard time sitting for more than just a few minutes at a time. And so he doesn't want to disturb everyone else by moving around. And like I said, we've not been very active for about five years. in addition to my husband injuring his back and he went from working full time to to being disabled my daughter was in an abusive marriage we went and got her out of that and then she got pregnant out of wedlock um my son fought us every single sunday i don't want to go to church i don't want to go to church i don't have anything in common with the boys and blah 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 and for me work became much more demanding i was physically and mentally exhausted and so I just decided, you know, I, I, did, I don't know if I decide, I don't know if I have to say decided, but I shut parts of myself off 
so that I could focus on taking care of my family and work. Um, We did continue to associate with a handful of people at church, but essentially we quit going. And then COVID happened. Well, my husband comes from a larger family. He has um, four siblings. And so they decided, hey, why don't we get together on Zoom during, you know, during COVID? Let's all get together and do church together as a family. And so every Sunday, and we would have 11 adults, over 20 children. We had family here in the United States and in Germany. We were across four different time zones. And so it was difficult to do it, but we did it every single Sunday. And it was absolutely wonderful. Um, We always did somebody talk, come follow me. We had singing time. We did the young men's and the young women's themes and, and all of this. And it was, it was really wonderful for us to become more connected again with his siblings. And, and when I say he has four other, four siblings, his siblings are 15 to 22 years younger than he is. And so it was kind of like a second family, but um, it was, it was wonderful to be able to kind of get to know them and get to know their kids better. And, and all of that, because we don't see each other very often. So, as I mentioned, I had kind of closed off parts of myself. And kind of starting with doing church through COVID with my family or with my husband's family. Um, things kind of started changing in me. Um, okay, here's where I'm going to cry. I met this wonderful man who was an actor and a musician a couple of years ago. And I found his website and started learning about him and his music and what he had been through as a gay man growing up in a conservative Christian, as in a conservative Christian church in the Bible Belt in East Tennessee. He grew up in small town East Tennessee. And has has really been through a lot. And I started listening to his music. I immediately fell in love with his music. And in addition to being an actor and a musician, with everything that he had been through, um, he became a spiritual practitioner. And he does podcasts focused on spirituality in a way that invites everyone to the table. It doesn't matter what your background whether you've got religious wounds, whether you're, you know, Christian or atheist or whatever. Um, he discusses things in a way that brings everybody to the table. And so I started listening to his podcast, which actually is what it is that introduced me to podcasts in general. And I've really learned a lot. Um, and because of some of the things that he would talk about. I started feeling like it was time to open back up those parts of me that I had shut off. Well, in order to be able to do this and make sure that I wasn't being, I was kind of staying within the gospel teachings and and all of that, I talked a lot with my husband about the things that Levi said on his podcasts. Um, 
which in all honesty are are actually very similar to a lot of what it is that we teach. And um, my husband, he was a, he basically does was discuss things with me um, to help me to be able to work things out in my head and to be able to understand the gospel better. And at one point, I decided, you know what? I think I need to start looking for church podcasts. And, you know, I found that the, you know, the podcast format was was really easy to listen to, um, like on my way to and from church or, or to and from work or out running errands or whatever. And so um, I started looking at for different church podcasts and I actually found um, follow him with. Hank Smith and John, by the way, and I love it. It has helped me so much, even not going to church every single week. Um, it's kind of kept me up on the come follow me and and the lessons at church. But also during this time, a lot of the things that had happened, like with Luis and how the Relief Society reacted some of the stories that Levi told about his the discrimination that he has experienced um those things have stayed in the forefront of my mind and one experience with Levi he had come in he came into my office because that you know right around the corner from where he gets his haircut um over during Easter week and and during one part of the conversation, I looked at him and I said, um, you do realize I'm a Mormon, don't you? Well, my degrees from BYU actually hang on my wall behind me. And I um, and I, I honestly thought that during other conversations that we had had that I had mentioned it. But he, no, I didn't realize that. Well, later in the conversation, he says, you know, gay Mormon boys have a really hard time like I did because of the conservative culture in our churches and how it is that we're, we're raised in those, with those conservative church culture. And immediately my thoughts started turning to, okay, what kind of, what it was it that happened with Luis that, that he would ask the question that he had asked me? Um, why was it that the women in Relief Society reacted the way that they did? Um, and it got to the point to where I was like, is there even anyone at church who feels the way that I do? And at one point, I even got to the point where I was wondering if I still belonged. So a few weeks later, um, the week after Mother's Day, I'm scrolling through Facebook and this post comes up from that I had saved from May of 2017. It came up in my memories and it was a post asking the question, is she wearing her temple garden or her temple garment in that wedding dress photo? Well, I didn't I, I remember saving it, but I don't didn't remember reading it. So I clicked on it and I was reading it. And it spoke to me. It spoke very clearly to me. And so I clicked on the author to learn more. 
And this was actually how it is that I was introduced to Richard. And so I read more of his posts. I found his Listen, Learn, and Love podcast. And I've listened to a few episodes. I found out that he had read or that he had written a couple of books. And I ordered both of them. And basically during all of this, it, it told me, you're not the only one. And yes, you do belong at church. So slowly I'm getting back to church. I'm definitely still on the fringe. And I don't know if that'll ever change. And I have had to keep reminding myself that while the church is full of imperfect people, including me, it doesn't make the gospel any less true. And I have to keep reminding myself, just like with everybody else, I have to extend grace to those that I go to church with because I guess I was expecting more. from church members, because we do have the gospel. But then again, I also ask myself, is it really too much to ask of those who have the gospel in our lives? I mean, is it too much to ask that we follow Christ's example and accept those who aren't exactly like we are? It's a really powerful story you're sharing of this, Renee. Um, brought me to tears for a few times because <laughs> I just sent your great heart and your goodness and your kindness and the way you were raised. I don't, your grandparents aren't alive, but if they could listen, it's a great tribute to them. Yes. And maybe they can listen to podcasts or in heaven there's podcasts. I don't know. But, <laughs> um, the culture you were raised in, the values your grandparents taught, um, just how you're wired. Your journey into the church is just a beautiful story of love and support and being true to who you are and wanting to love and support everybody. I love that being a theme throughout your career, throughout your church service, your family culture. You, I've got questions for you. I don't know, but I wonder if you'd like to read one of Levi's songs now. Yes. And then I'll ask you questions. Is that okay? Yes. That's okay. wonderful. Um. When I first listened to this song, it really spoke to me. And I apologize. I know I'm going to cry. But um, this song is entitled Stained Glass Window. There is a rage way down inside of me, a fire that's branded my soul. And it leaves me as one of the many with a hate so hard to control. Oh, but I've seen that hate is not the answer. There is a time when we all must, de- all must decide to step on up with wisdom and power and say, children, let's give up the fight. Consider this for a moment or two. I'm crimson red. You are ocean blue. We're just two of many colors in a stained glass window. And love is the light that is shining through. And then the next um, verse. Now you can. Find a thousand explanations to demote my position with God. But I've discovered a divine resolution. I'm embraced by the light of his love. And then the chorus again. Consider this for a moment or two. I am crimson red. 
you are ocean blue. We're just two of many colors in a stained glass window, and love is the light shining through, that's shining through. My mother and my grandmother were both stained glass artists. And I think that's part of the reason why this really spoke to me. For years, I watched my mother and grandmother make beautiful stained glass pieces. They made ornaments, various size panels to hang in windows, um, entire window panes for front doors, Tiffany-style lampshades, and on and on. And I saw the painstaking work that went into taking these full sheets of beautiful, colorful glass and turning them into beautiful, multicolored pieces of art. They chose the glass and the materials. They laid out the patterns. They would cut the glass, grind the glass, dry fit everything. They would either attach foil or frame it with lead. And then once they felt like they had it all pulled together, they would solder it together into this wonderful piece of art. Now, all of this was not done without a lot of heartache and pain at times. Um, I think probably the only time I ever heard my grandmother say a curse word was when she was working on one of her Tiffany lampshades. Um, Pieces not fitting correctly, accidental breaks, and many, many times they would cut their fingers. But they also knew it was just part of the creative process, and the results were always beautiful. So when I started, when I listened to the lyrics of this song, the memories of my mother and grandmother working with glass came flooding back to me. Each one of us is a beautiful piece of glass, sometimes with rough edges and sharp corners. Our Father in Heaven is the artist who painstakingly chooses materials, lays out a pattern, cuts out and grinds each of us into a perfect piece of glass that fits into the window where we are soldered together with everyone else to create a beautiful human family. Some of us take more cuts. Some of us take more grinding. Some of us cause him more frustration than others. Sometimes we crack, but the framing of our lives and the others around us somehow managed to hold us all together. Then to paraphrase Levi's song, Heavenly Father adds the light of his love to shine through each and every one of us. I love listeners' visual um, imagery to create um, understanding. And what you've done here, taking Levi's song, Levi, your words, I don't know if you listen to these podcasts or if Renee will send it on to you, but what you've done is remarkable. The lyrics you've written, the impact you've had on so many people for good. And then tying that with your own mother and grandmother's experience with stained glass and the work to pull that all together. That's just a beautiful imagery. I think of the body of Christ that Paul talks about in Corinthians, that all parts of the body of Christ are needed. And the Levi's and the Louises in our worlds are needed. They make our world and our church communities better when we have them. And um, I love the role. I love, there's so many things I love. I just, I, foyer sitter and fringe are sort of terms that are <laughs> in our culture. And 
we, when I served in as a YSA bishop, we had people that sat in the foyer. And I remember one leadership meeting, we were talking about, should we pass sacrament to the foyer sitters? I don't think we called them foyer sitters, but there was a little bit of judgment in our discussion. And we thought, well, if they're not going to actually make it in the chapel, maybe we shouldn't pass them the sacrament. And I think that was the Pharisee side of our thought. <laughs> And then we did conclude, and the handbook didn't really give us any direction, that if they're going to make the effort to come to church, we're going to go past in the sacrament. And we're not going to be, we're going to be gatherers and not sifters and not sort of sift them because they're in the building, but not in the chapel. And the principle is because we felt Christ would go take the sacrament out to the quote unquote foyer sitters. And there may be incredibly committed people sitting in the foyer with very logical reasons why they're in the foyer. And their hearts may be as good and as pure, and they may have had an incredible week of serving people, but we might see them as foyer sitters or fringe Latter-day Saints <laughs> and create judgment and, and sifting in that whole imagery. So you are not a fringe member. You are one of the most remarkable members of our church I've ever met. And you may not like hearing that and may think, well, you really knew all the mistakes I made, but your heart comes through this podcast and your lifelong desire to make good choices, including join the church and be kind to everybody and honor your, your mother and your grandparents and really honoring Christ and his mission and his ministry, everyone to the table. Um, and we, you are better off and because you're, we are better off with you and all your gifts. And that to me is creating Zion. Old ship Zion that Brigham Young talks about is this big, beautiful boat that there's room for all of us to belong. And we need to do a better job of that. But your story, I think, helps all of us do want to do a better job of helping people feel like they belong. I love your husband trusted you. This is another note I just wrote down to myself that here you are listening to this gay dude. <laughs> you know, lyrics and your husband could be kind of freaked out saying, where is this going? Mm -hmm. But he tr seems to have trusted you and said, I, and you seem to trusted him and say, I, this is content I'm exposed to and things I'm learning. And he bal balanced it like you need to be reeled in, but he just, I like that part of your story is that you were safe to him and he, and you valued her as input to how to navigate um, just the good you were seeing in this person's ministry. Mm -hmm. um, and I recognize the good that he is doing. Often people that are part of marginalized groups have an ability to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've felt it firsthand. And um, Levi's work is remarkable. And um, I love then obviously connecting with, you know, follow him with Hank Smith and John, by the way. Um, that's a couple notes I wrote down. Um, and that just your desire to better support, um, LGBTQ people and, yes. and these two experiences to me, you didn't sell out the gospel of Jesus Christ to be kind to these two men. You live the gospel of Jesus Christ. You lived your baptism covenants. You didn't cross a line. You didn't support a lifestyle. You just were kind to people. Um, and you recognize there, you were very upfront. You're not living the teachings of my church, um, but I support mm -hmm. you and I love you. And you didn't sell out your religion to support them. No. 
And I think that's what we're trying to do better as Latter-day Saints and people of, all, of other faiths. So those are some of the things, but the most important impression I have is you are not a fringe member. And I don't think God looks at you by those five years of not being active um, or sitting in the foyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is me partly talking to listeners that may feel like they don't belong or they haven't quite had a linear path in the church. Um, it's a it's a long road, and we need each other. We need to be kind to each other, even in our own personal journeys. When we feel like, hey, we we don't even deserve to sit in the foyer because <laughs> of what's the reality of our life. Everybody, Elder Uchtdorf talks. There's no sign at the door that says our testimony needs to be the side to enter. I think you've always had a strong testimony, but there's no belief or behavior for her to feel welcome in an LDS congregation. Yes. There's a narrowing of the gate at the, at the temple where there's a belief and behavior hurdle, but everybody should feel welcome. And then I think more people get to the temple and more good gets accomplished mm-hmm. as you're sharing with us. So um, other thoughts that come to your mind now that I've sure to shared some thoughts, I'd love you to share anything else on your mind, Renee. When you mentioned Elder Uchtdorf, um, he was a, he was trained as a pilot. Mm-hmm. and I. One of these days, I'm going to learn how to fly. It will not be big commercial air, aircraft or anything like that. It's just going to be the little four-seaters. But um, I seem to remember one time him talking about when you look at, as a pilot, when you look at the path from A to B. So like when I was, when I was flying here, I flew in from Nashville. And when you look at the path that the airplane was supposed to take, it just kind of looks like a, a curve going from Nashville to Salt Lake. But if you actually look very closely at the path that it actually took, there were hundreds, if not thousands, of corrections to stay on that path. The path actually looked more like a wiggly line instead of just an arc. And that that was just when you said Elder Uchtdorf, that just that, that just came to mind, especially since I just flew in yesterday. And that's great. He has a gift of teaching through, just like the stained glass. I've never heard the stained glass that'll stick with me and a lot of listeners. He is a gift of teaching, and I'm grateful you've got these two wonderful kids that have raised in your family of love and support and understanding. Um. This has just been a really wonderful podcast. I had one thought, but it left my mind. Oh, it, it came back. You know, I'm, I'm back in your release society when you're saying kind things about, I want to get these men right, Luis. Luis, yes. And I would hope that we, our culture gets to the point where not only are we comfortable saying kind things about LGBTQ people, but most of the things we say are kind. I think most of my LGBTQ friends would say, most of the things they hear about people like them aren't are neutral or negative. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we're learning that all LDS congregations and probably true of all religions have LGBTQ members closeted or uncloseted in the congregations and they should be flooded with kind comments. It's possible there was a closeted LGBTQ person in that release society or a mother that yes. had a LGBTQ kid and, and your comment, even though the recite kind of went silent and you got <laughs> redirected, may have just blessed their life. 
So thank mm-hmm. you for your courage. And um, I think our cultures can improve that we're just consistently saying kind things about all of Heavenly Father's children. Yes. That's the kind of culture we want to have, because I think that's the culture that Jesus wants us to have in our congregation. So Renee Davis, we're so glad you came on the podcast. Um, and just the vision and hope and the stained glass analogy and just your life story. It's remarkable. And on behalf of all our listeners, thank you, Renee Davis. And thank you, our listeners, for being on another, for listening to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.